Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of H2 Tech Talk, the podcast series by H2 Tech, the Hydrogen Technology Journal from Gulf Energy Information. I'm Tyler Campbell, Managing Editor for H2 Tech, and your host for this week's H2 Tech Talk. Today, I'll be speaking with James Abrams, Marine Engineer for ABS, and Joseph Russo, Director of Offshore Technology for ABS. How are you doing today, gentlemen? I'm doing well, thank you. Doing great, thanks. No problem. Now, let's get started with the first question. So, James, why would hydrogen be produced offshore? Hydrogen has been produced for a long time now, well over 100 years. It's always been done on land, though. It's usually done in close proximity to other industrial plants, where it can then be used to further refine petroleum products, produce fertilizers, treat metals. It's used in processing foods or a number of other uses. A hydrogen production project might be moved offshore due to a number of factors based on the economic, social, and environmental drivers of that particular project. It really just kind of depends. So what are the um, economic, social, and environmental drivers for offshore green hydrogen? For green hydrogen specifically, offshore production can be appealing for a number of reasons. Uh, Electrolysis requires a large amount of water and electrical power, So setting up shop near an offshore wind farm solves both of these problems. It also moves the facilities further away from populated areas. This will reduce the risk to surrounding areas, and it gets heavy industry out of people's backyards. Offshore green hydrogen production can also be more environmentally sustainable than onshore gray hydrogen production. There's a lot of companies that are looking to get into this offshore green hydrogen production as a way of cleaning up their hydrogen production. And a lot of that is based on the uh, United Nations uh, agreements that are being uh, talked about quite a bit in the press these days, the, the Convention on Climate Change, the Paris Agreement, that sort of thing. So uh, a lot of that is driving corporate behavior and, and corporate um, priorities uh, to, uh, to move to uh, a, a cleaner energy transition. So are there any uh, geographical or regional differences in offshore hydrogen production that you've observed? Yeah, we've noticed differences in the rate at which different countries and regions are investing in these offshore green hydrogen production projects, but we are seeing investment in pilot projects all over the world. The UK, China, and Germany lead the world in offshore wind production, which is going to help them kickstart any offshore green hydrogen production projects of their own, but it's not limited to just these handful of countries. Yes, Northern Europe is in general seeing an increased interest in producing green hydrogen offshore, but we're seeing projects proposed in Germany, the Netherlands, Belgium, Denmark, the US. Over in East Asia, we have South Korea and Japan, as well as China. In South America, Chile is proposing projects of their own. Australia is also getting involved. In in a number of countries in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia especially, have announced their own green hydrogen projects. So it really is kind of a worldwide effort right now that we're observing. Explain to me how hydrogen is produced offshore. Yeah, offshore production of green hydrogen is based on the electrolysis reaction, which uses electricity to break down water into its base molecules, oxygen and hydrogen. Reactions as clean as the electricity we use to power it, and the reaction itself has no carbon byproducts. So it really is green in every sense of the word. What are the differences between traditional offshore oil and gas facilities and hydrogen production facilities? 
The largest difference between traditional offshore oil and gas facilities and theoretical hydrogen production facilities is going to be the amount of processing equipment required on the top sides. In a traditional offshore oil and gas facility, you're going to see a really a large amount of top sides processing for hydrocarbons as they're being produced from the well. With a hydrogen production facility, you're really only handling three fluids in any sort of large quantity, and that's water, hydrogen, and oxygen. Uh, the actual vessel or structure type that you're going to see is going to depend greatly on where the facility is operating. Uh, you might see bottom-founded structures in shallow water, floating structures in deeper water. You're going to see different mooring systems depending on the prevailing wind and sea data, um, and so on and so forth. But this is something that we already have a lot of experience from our uh, times with oil and gas. And just to build on what uh, James was saying uh, in terms of the, the approach to all of this, so we, we can learn a lot of lessons from the oil and gas industry in terms of engineering techniques and uh, um, the, the commitment to, to safety and environmental protection that has, has been used offshore. Um, and certainly it's, it's dealing with a different substance that has different properties. And, uh, and so the process design will be different and the hazards will be slightly different. But um, in the end, we can, uh, we can use similar techniques when it comes to designing structures and pipelines and, uh, and safety features on board these, uh, these platforms and installations that uh, uh, kind of build on our success with the oil and gas industry over the years. So is there any unique equipment essential uh, to offshore hydrogen production? The single most important piece of equipment is the electrolyzer. There's a lot of different electrolyzer technologies that have been discussed, but the big three so far are PIM electrolyzers, alkaline electrolyzers, and solid oxide electrolyzers. Each of them operates under slightly different conditions. They have different physical footprints. They're built using different materials. They each have their own effective lifespans and maintenance requirements and they all cost different prices to construct and install. Are there any noteworthy challenges with any of these uh, technologies? There's definitely not a clear-cut winner when it comes to electrolyzers. Alkaline electrolyzers operate best near their design loads, and they experience a drop in efficiency when operating under lower or variable loads. Solid oxide electrolyzers operate using a solid ceramic membrane. This requires really high operating temperatures to function almost an order of magnitude higher than PIM and alkaline electrolyzers. If you don't have an already available source of heat, reaching these temperatures is going to reduce the overall efficiency of the reaction. Uh, PIM electrolyzers are constructed using more rare earth metals like platinum and iridium, and they require more precise construction techniques for their catalysts, which makes them more expensive to produce and maintain. There's also issues with availability of platinum and iridium which will likely drive up the price of PIM electrolyzers in the future. That, that makes sense. Um, I actually recently read a study that uh, platinum and iridium and even nickel prices are um, going up. So uh, how will power be supplied to these facilities? Offshore power supply is definitely an important aspect to consider when you're planning these sorts of facilities. Subsea power transmission is actually a big challenge some wind farm installations have had to face. So by using nearby offshore wind farms to power hydrogen production facilities, we can actually solve two problems at the same time. High voltage alternating and direct current transmission systems both have energy losses over longer distance, and in some cases more than you would see in a hydrogen pipeline over the same distance. So in the right conditions, it can make sense to use the electricity from an offshore wind farm to produce hydrogen instead. 
that's how the power will be supplied, but how will the hydrogen that's then produced be exported? Yeah, there are a few different options available to exporters. Hydrogen pipelines are definitely a cheap and easy option. They're typically lower on the manufacturing costs and they're simpler to connect with the existing infrastructure. Uh, export via ship is another option that will become available as the hydrogen industry grows. There's already interest in using it as a fuel and vessels designed to carry it in bulk are close behind. Uh, hydrogen can also be synthesized into other molecules like ammonia and transported in the, that form. If I could uh, just add here, uh, a lot of the discussion is, is revolving around a, a future state of the industry that you know is competing for resources or um, is integral uh, to other industries like the wind power industry and the offshore installation um, vessels that would be needed and that sort of thing. So um, a lot of this uh, you know may be regionally driven. It may be driven by uh, by economics uh, of, of a particular location versus uh, the uh, the available uh, capabilities in that area, and so there's it's going to be have to have to be a a, a larger scale look at uh, exactly how these uh, uh, projects are able to be um, planned and put together. So, uh, what are some regulatory challenges um, in offshore hydrogen production? Yeah, there are definitely some valid concerns for those looking to get into offshore hydrogen production. Because it's still a novel concept, there's a very Wild West feel with respect to the different regulatory bodies. There's a lot of moving parts from their side of things, and successfully navigating this can be challenging. Um, and as a new industry, it, it's, uh, it's lacking a, a coherent international set of regulations that applies uh, overall. Um, you know, that will develop. Um, it will probably um, develop, you know, from international cooperation. Uh, certain regions obviously will have their own uh, individual requirements based on the way that they've regulated other things like the marine industry and the oil and gas industry and the power industry, for example. Um, but uh, that that's still evolving. Um, in addition to the the technical regulations, there's also the um, you know the environmental regulations, which may or may not have an impact. Certainly, the uh, discussions around things like the Inflation Reduction Act in the United States, and also uh, some of the moves by Europe in terms of uh, of incentivizing hydrogen production, uh, it, it's all part of the picture. Uh, and so the regulatory landscape is not quite clear overall yet, but uh, but it's beginning beginning to become more so. What projects and experience or other publications does ABS have on this subject? Yeah, so we've done a lot of projects in the hydrogen economy area, especially in the offshore side in the past year. Um, we've done a number of projects qualifying new technologies for hydrogen production, especially on ships too, not just for offshore production facilities. Um, we're looking at a lot of companies coming to us and trying to reduce their carbon footprint. And for them, if they can capture the carbon and produce hydrogen and use that hydrogen instead, that saves them money in the long run. We're looking at technologies that are going to be used to uh, produce both small and large quantities of hydrogen in the offshore world industry. I think, Joe, you might be able to talk a little bit more about some of these projects. Sure. I mean, there's been a, a, a lot of interest in um, qualifying some of the, the technologies that are involved um, and looking at uh, potential ways to um, design and build and deploy the, the platforms that would be required. Um, these are all at, at early stages at this point. Um, the, there's some regions that are, are further along than others, but uh, but it's certainly uh, an area that we've we've worked uh, with 
uh, clients in in the North Sea and the and the uh, the U.S. and uh, and in Asia as well, um, looking at some of these uh, some of these facilities and and whether they're based on a uh, uh, you know hydrogen from a single floating uh, hub or it's uh, hydrogen produced at each individual wind turbine or um, or some combination of these methods and how you put together with the substations uh, to, uh, to to deliver electricity um, uh, through the field um, and also move the hydrogen around uh, from place to place that's all been part of the the studies we've done so um, the deployment has not uh, has not happened yet we're uh, we're still uh, working on a lot of the the lead technologies but it's a it's definitely a fascinating area thank you joseph so uh, is Marine hydrogen production being considered on smaller scales, for example, ships, and what technologies are being used there? Yeah, so we're seeing a number of technologies being used for small scale production of hydrogen on board ships. One of the big challenges with using hydrogen, especially as a fuel, is its low density by volume. And an easy way around this for a lot of ships is to store methanol or methane or other carbon based fuels and then convert those fuels to hydrogen on board and use that to help contribute to either lower emissions or to help power fuel cells. Um, we're seeing a number of technologies being used here. Most of them involve some sort of catalytic reaction with the carbon-based fuel, whether it's methane or methanol, and then capturing the hydrogen and the carbon and then storing the carbon and using the hydrogen as fuel on board the ship. Um, most of these are some sort of uh, reactor or containerized solution, which is easy for ships to install and use yeah. on board. They tend to be mostly new prototype level technologies, but we're working with them to help develop these technologies and qualify them for further use in the marine and offshore world. I think that there's a lot of potential with these technologies, and I'm excited to see what new technologies will continue to emerge as the hydrogen economy begins to develop and really kind of expand. Yeah, part of this uh, new technology work is is related to the, the the difficulty in storing and transporting hydrogen in, in terms of its uh, temperature requirements and uh, and its uh, the need to have a, you know a cryogenic uh, storage and and. Uh, and making sure that you've uh, you've got the right materials involved and that sort of thing because it's not a, it's not a, a low temperature it's a very low temperature that you're storing hydrogen at down down almost near uh, near absolute zero down on the minus 250s so um, it's not easy to move around or store um, and so that's why some of these um, smaller scale localized um, technologies are being looked at so uh well that's all i have for you today gentlemen actually um well, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedules to speak to me and our audience. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, absolutely. It was a pleasure. No problem. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in to another installment of H2 Tech Talk. Please remember to share and subscribe. And thanks for stopping by.